thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. I'm so glad that you've joined me for today's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And I think today's going to be a special broadcast because I've just returned uh, late last night from meetings in Washington, D.C., and I want to comment on what I observed and what I heard. And I pray that it's very helpful um, for you in making sense of the politics in our world today, and particularly conservative slash Christian politics. I had actually wanted to record the podcast in my motel room the morning after the meeting, but there were just too many sirens and car noises, and uh, so I waited to get get back to uh, the office. But let me let me tell you the what what transpired there that has inspired today's episode. And uh, if you find it helpful, I, I would again encourage you to help us grow our audience. Um, I heard from two young people today, both of whom are wanting to go to law school, well, one at the end of last week and then one yesterday, who listen to this podcast and are thinking now differently about law and one even thinking about going to law school. And so I pray that you would share this with others, particularly with young people who are trying to make sense of what they understand Christianity to be and their theology and biblical theology and law and how it relates to cultural issues because we're going to pull all that together today and find that what I experienced was um, actually, gosh, how do I say this to you without being discouraging, but it was discouraging in the revelatory way of seeing the bad so that you might then know what to do. I talked a couple of weeks ago about Sons of Issachar. And so today's a Sons of Issachar kind of podcast where I want to relay to you what took place and give you my analysis and my thoughts on it as they relate to scripture and current issues. So this meeting was with um, a number of conservatives, generally all wealthy people, mostly all Christians, and various members of Congress, uh, and five different members of Congress spoke during a period from like 7 o'clock till 9.15 that night. Um, some of them are on Fox News, let's say, at least once a week, if not almost every day or every other day. Others are newer members of Congress, but uh, following in their footsteps, and, and you would know their names, but it, the names are not important to the topic today. But um, during the course of the evening, there was reference made to God, and people said, you know, I know we're not all Christians, but Jesus Christ was referenced. And oftentimes uh, a little scripture verse was maybe peppered in or an allusion to a scripture verse as the politicians were speaking. And one of them, though, who is of national import and reputation, spoken of highly by so many, and no doubt a believer, not, not questioning that at all, 
But he said, you know, we're urged to contend for the faith, and by golly, that's what we're going to do. And we're not going to give up until we win. And of course, the scripture verse to which he was alluding is found in Jude. And here's what Jude wrote in verse 3. It's just one chapter of Jude, so chapter 1, verse 3, or just verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, in other words, that's, that's what I was going to write to you about, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So he's talking about here something other than perhaps soteriology or the commonness of our salvation that leads to glory, but to earnestly contending for the faith. Almost every version you would look at would say something to the effect of earnestly contending. Some just say contending, but the, but the, the, the Greek word there does have this sense of an earnestness, a striving to it, not just uh, let's have a nice little conversation while we uh, you know, play cards at the dinner table or something. This is, this, is, this is getting after it, so to speak. And that's what he was alluding to. We're, we're going to contend for the faith. And at the end of the meeting, I looked at the person I was with, and I said, I just don't know that I can do this anymore. You know, maybe five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I would have been excited to be in that room. I would have been excited to have met members of Congress. I would have been excited to hear these leading figures you see in the newspaper every day. I, I would have hung on their words, and I'd have been like, yeah, yeah, we're going to contend for the faith, and we're going to, uh, you know. And I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. I mean, yeah, I've been going to political speeches and rallies since I ran for office in 1994, but it was not that kind of thing. It was not a, a boredom. It was, as I said to him, none of what I heard in here will make any difference, nor does it matter. And I sincerely believe that. Now, that's not to say that God isn't going to use those things. That in God's economy, things just are irrelevant uh, and, and, and God doesn't use them. That's just not true. For example, in Proverbs 16, 4, we read this. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Now, that's a verse worth pondering on. Because it implies that over the course of history, there are going to be days of evil. The Lord knows there are going to be days of evil, and he's made the wicked for that day for his purposes. So I'm not saying none of that matters, but what I am getting ready to tell you is that it was not a contending for the faith in any sense of the word. It was contending for all kinds of things, some maybe of which were moral, let's say, or, or, or have of an ethical value. But what I heard about was holding President Biden accountable. I heard about the two layers of justice between, you know, the people Biden likes right now and the ones they don't like. I heard about immigration and borders. I, I, uh, I uh, heard about the economy, you know, I heard about, but I never heard anybody say, we have to reestablish 
a right understanding of what it means to be human and what human flourishing is. And, and we need to restore that notion that we might restore this institution that God established in the very first chapter of Genesis called the marital relationships. That's the foundation of not just the family, but of all civilization. Not one word about any of that. Uh, balanced budgets, continuing resolutions. Yeah, I've heard lots of that. But, but that has nothing to do with contending for the faith. You can throw that Bible verse on top of all that stuff, and, and it either shows that your faith is in American politics and in fiscal matters and immigration matters and all those other things, or it shows that you don't understand what contending for the faith means in the Bible, even though you're a Christian and using the word. Now, those are that's strong language, but, but friends, I'm just telling you, if you had sat there, apart from any sense of awe that there are these high-ranking members of Congress and important people in the room, you would have felt like I felt. You didn't say anything that gives me any hope for anything that at least pertains to contending for the faith. Now, now, why is that important? Well, the last two weeks, we spent a lot of time looking at the nature of the cosmos in which we live and understanding it both pre-fall and post-fall. I've talked a lot about cosmology over the last year, and especially the last couple of weeks. And some of some of those who've written me in the last week have talked about this. The talk of cosmology has been so important to them, and they appreciate hearing about that because we don't hear about it very much in Christian circles. And I've had some friends say, you know, I'm struggling to, to get it, but I, I think it's important, but I, I need to understand it. So, so let me talk for a moment here just about the issue of cosmology and how it relates to contending for the faith and why nothing that was said in that room that night had to do with contending for the faith, even if you slapped a Bible verse on it. Okay. What is cosmology? Now, I'm going to tell you that that is a, a term that was really new to me a year and a half or two years ago. I mean, I'd heard it I knew it wasn't cosmetics, it wasn't the same thing as that, but I didn't really know what it was, didn't know why it was important, didn't seem to be important. What was important was right or wrong, right? Um, the ethical thing to do. You know, same-sex marriage is wrong, heterosexual marriage is right, transgender is wrong, boys and girls bathrooms wrong, abortion's wrong. We need to prohibit those things. So I cosmology just wasn't in the discussion, right? Now, I, I want us to take us back to 1828 because so much of our world has changed as a result of the influence and the conquering by the Enlightenment philosophy, which has now been conquered, as I said last week, by the postmodernist, nihilistic cosmology. So if you need to, go back and listen to last week. But here's how Webster in 1828 defined cosmology. It's very important. He says it's the science of the world or universe. That's how he begins the definition, the science of the world or universe. Now, in the climate of opinion in which we live, you've, you've heard me use that phrase before, the 18th century philosophers began to change the climate of opinion from a biblical cosmology to an enlightenment cosmology that man and reason is sufficient to understand the world. We 
you know, God is less relevant. He's, he can be in the upper story. Uh, we can figure things out without revelation. All of that of, of the Enlightenment. And, and so we, w- we would read that to say, oh, well, that's talking about uh, understanding atoms and molecules and energy and motion and, you know, all of those things. That's the science of the world or the universe and uh, coming to discover how the, the stars orbit and the planets orbit and discover, you know, that's, that's what science is. And if we're not careful, we'll get into conversations today about science and and we will be using their methodology and their understanding of science and we will have been taken captive by the empty traditions and philosophies of men and and we will not know that we have been deceived. I just spent an hour on a phone call with a friend who kept saying, but science confirms what the scripture says. And I think the person finally got it, that science will confirm that that males impregnate females. But it doesn't tell us what it means to be a man. We think it does. But the transgender community says, no, that's just an anatomical thing. There's a separate thing from anatomy called gender, how we're perceived in the community and how we relate to each other. And and the matter that is our body, the anatomy of it can be rearranged and poof, we become a different gender, you see. So it's kind of like, okay, okay. I said, you're, you're thinking of science in the way we would have thought about it a hundred years ago, let's say. But that's not how it's perceived today. So when you use the word science, they assume you're talking the same thing they're talking. And they know, as I've covered in previous podcasts, science has eliminated through its evolutionary perspective on everything, any uh, formal cause, meaning a, a given nature to things. And science has eliminated any final cause or teleos of anything. It's just matter and instrumentalities. So if you're not careful, they're hearing you say something you don't think you're saying, and you think you're agreeing with Richard Dawkins when Richard Dawkins doesn't believe a darn thing that you believe. That there's a nature to things that can't be molded and manipulated. And and see, Dawkins, though, wants to reduce everything to strict biology and then give it a name, but that's the point. They're saying everything can't be reduced to strict biology. We're nihilists now. There's just stuff, and we give the stuff its meaning, and we give the stuff its purpose. Come on, Dawkins. You're living in the old view of science back in the Enlightenment, and we're past that, man. And Christians aren't even living in the Enlightenment. They're, I don't know where they're living. But if you don't understand how everybody else understands how the world works, its cosmology, you won't get it. And you'll be talking about science and you'll be talking two different things, just like Shirley MacLaine and I could sit on the stage and both talk about God for an hour. And she may well think I'm talking about her understanding of God and not realize that <laughs> I'm not even close to her understanding of God. And if I don't know anything about Shirley MacLaine when she uses the word God, I'm thinking she's using the word I'm using. So that's why I've said on this show before, as I've had many friends say, 
the only thing worth fighting over is words. What do they mean? Because words capture a worldview. They capture a cosmology. Now, let me continue on this for just a moment, because, again, what Webster said in 1828 was that cosmology is the science of the world or universe. So, so let me give you the definition to establish the truth of what I'm trying to say and communicate it, and he can communicate it better than maybe I have in the last five minutes. But in the 1828 dictionary, Webster defines science this way, quote, in a general sense, knowledge or certain knowledge. So we're really dealing there with epistemology. It's the study of knowledge. How do we know things? But, but, but science is, is, that, is, is knowledge. That's really what it means. He continues on. The comprehension or understanding of truth or facts by the mind. The science of God must be perfect. Now, isn't it interesting? I doubt well, I shouldn't say I doubt what you've done. I know I had never thought of theology as the science of God. And, of course, what he's saying here is the science or the knowledge of God must be perfect because God made, ordered, and superintends all things. So you get God wrong, you get everything else wrong. You get the cosmology wrong, you see. Which is why the scripture says, I want you to come to the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God, the Father, and the Son. If you come to that knowledge, as it says in Colossians, you'll come to have wisdom and you won't be deceived and you won't be taken captive. And we don't spend any time in any of that theology because we're so busy trying to fix the economy or fix the abortion law or fix whatever it is that all those politicians were talking about. And they weren't even talking about abortion or same-sex marriage. That we don't have time to come to the knowledge of God that we might understand the nature of the cosmos in which we live. And note this, not just the nature of it, but because of its nature, there's a nature to how it works. So cosmology is what kind of world do we live in and how does it work? What's the nature of it? Now, we live in a, in a postmodern, nihilistic culture where everything is defined or understood in terms of what it's not. So in essence, we don't believe there is any nature to things anymore. And that's where transgenderism comes in. Now, let, let me take this matter of transgenderism apart a bit and stick it into this idea of contending for the faith. You see, the faith for which we should be contending has to include a cosmology. The nature of the, of the universe in which we live or the kind of place in which we live. It has to include that. It's why the Bible doesn't start with, you're a sinner and need to be saved. It starts within the beginning and God created. You have to have a cosmology as the predicate for your soteriology and for your eschatology. And they flow in that order. You can't pluck soteriology out from your cosmology, and whatever soteriology you come out with that's disconnected from your cosmology will probably have a wrong eschatology, which is why I think most of the eschatology in Protestant churches today is, is wrong. It's an escapism. It's a dualism. We have to get away from this place because God couldn't really cleanse it from the pollution of sin. Sin is now 
woven into the texture of the fabric, so to speak, such that the fabric can't be cleaned. Anyway, I, I get off the subject there if I'm not careful. So, so what's the nature of this universe? Now, the, the question, in, in essence, would be, well, uh, is the stuff of the universe, the stuff the empirical sciences would discover, explain, and tell us about, does it fit into an organic sort of whole? Or is the whole just things that are bits of individual things that are sort of just aggregated? So, you know, I don't know how to necessarily give you a good example of that, but if you go to the banana bin at the grocery store, you know, you'll find disconnected bananas, but they're all aggregated in a bin. So is that the nature of the world? It's just a bunch of different bananas, but it looks like they're all together because they're in a bin, but they're really just separate bananas. And then, of course, you have some bananas that are come off the tree, and they're four or five together. So those bananas are an organic whole of bananas. And, um, and of course, if you had the tree, there would be the whole organic tree with the fruit of the bananas clustered together in banana clusters. So what's the... What's the nature of things? How do we explain this sense of unity, but yet diversity? Is there, is there any connection to them, or are they just aggregated parts? Okay, I hope, hope that makes sense. And, and is there something about you that's integrated, really, in an organic whole with me, or are we just all a bunch of individualistic monads running around on the same planet, and so we're just an aggregation of people, not an organic whole of people. Now, that's what's led to this tribalism and victimization and CRT is that we're saying, oh, we're just a bunch of disparate pieces who are stuck on the same place. And there isn't any organic whole. I don't need women or I don't need men or I don't need blacks or I don't need whites or whatever it might be. You see, th there's... There's where your cosmology begins to kick in. Then the question would be, well, is there anything fixed about this universe in which we live, or is it just all constantly changing? But we do notice change, so how does that change fit with the sense of fixedness that we see? So an example that uh, I heard given the other day, I thought was excellent from um, Chuck Knox Unplugged podcast was, um, you know, we have a change of seasons, but yet the seasons repeat themselves. So it could look as if, oh, everything's changed. Oh, look at this. We go from spring to summer to fall to winter. Everything's changed. Oh, but wait a minute. After winter, it comes spring. And then summer and fall. So there's a unity within that diversity. So is one more fundamental than the other? Are they both true? And how could they both be true? Now, these are questions that were, were really articulated by the Greeks, you know, beginning in the 5th and 6th century, and, and they were debated. And to be honest, that's what we're still debating in our, in our world today. There is nothing new under the sun. And so contending for the faith requires us to contend 
for a certain cosmology that makes the ethics make sense. Okay? So in other words, just as I wrote in my new book, uh, Transgenderism, uh, Ancient Issues That Can Only Be Answered by the Ancient of Days. I think that's the, the name of it. It's on, on Amazon. But the, the point is, I don't think I've seen anybody in the transgender uh, context in the policy or legal world, and I'm not familiar with any pastor or theologian. Uh, obviously, I don't know them all. Okay, so hear me. I'm, I'm not making a general statement of truth as pertaining to everybody, but I've not seen or heard the ones that I've seen or heard contending for the faith in this arena by noting that, hey, the transgender community is raising an important discussion about the very nature, the kind of world we live in, and how it works. So, is there a human nature that's fixed and permanent? Or does human nature change and evolve? And how do these things fit in questions of dualism, you see? And how do we, how do we, how do we deal with this question of diversity, see? Uh, you're thinking this way, I'm thinking this way. Well, how do we even communicate with each other if if there's no shared humanity, if there's not an organic whole? See, those are the questions, but unfortunately, I think what's happened is that we use the word contending for the faith and then go out and make a moralistic, ethical argument, and ethics only makes sense in a certain cosmology. So when you divorce your ethics from your cosmology, your ethics are just reduced to nothing more than this is my opinion, and if I can get enough power, I will force my ethical opinions, my truth, on your truth. So if we're going to contend for the faith in the realm of law and politics, we need to be arguing more than what I've already quoted before in a brief by one of the leading Christian policy organizations. There's growing evidence that sterilizing children is harmful. I mean, every time I've shared that with somebody and they hear it, they laugh. But that's in a brief filed with, with the federal court by a leading Christian organization. And the other side has to be hearing it that's saying, oh, well, you agree, science is the, the determinative thing, so I'm going to pit my scientist against your scientist because there isn't any nature, there isn't any givenness, there isn't any truth about the, the kind of creatures that we are. No, our side's agreeing that, oh, there's not any kind of thing there that's absolutely true. We just need science to tell us. We've capitulated, you see, and we can say we're contending for the faith, and we can ask for all your dollars because we're contending for the faith, and we're not contending for the faith at all because we've left out the cosmology that makes sense of the ethics that we want to contend for. And that's why I'm saying, friends, I sat in that meeting with all these conservatives and Christians, wealthy people, want to know what in the world is going wrong with our world, and man, I'm going to hire these guys who are going to go out here and fight and contend for the faith, and they're not even fighting the right way because they're not contending for a restoration of the cosmology that makes sense of the world. And therefore, 
what we contend for, divorced from our cosmology, just looks like a moralistic crusade and nothing more than, than what they perceive, which is everything is about power, and whoever gets power can shape the nature of the world and the universe. And in essence, we're doing nothing different from what they're doing, and there is in no way a contending for the faith. So I hope that's helpful to you. And if you're caught up in Republican and Democrat and DeSantis versus, um, you know, whoever else is running for president, Trump and something else, and, oh, we just got to have this right person. It's like none of them are actually really contending for the faith. They're running moralistic crusades, and some of them aren't running moralistic crusades. But they're not seeking to restore the cosmos in which the ethic that we contend for makes sense. And the reason that we have these terrible ethics and we're having to pass laws to stop them is because we've lost the cosmology that makes sense of them. I get criticism, I'm sure. I'm, I'm not saying that some of these people running for president aren't Christian. But absent a right cosmology and understanding that cosmology has been lost and it's not enough to pass a law to just say you can't do that, long-term, we can't pass enough laws to stop all the bad things. And besides, What's good of life is not defined in terms of the negative. That's life by nihilism. The good life is not doing that, not having to work, not having to have jobs, not having to have stress, whatever it is. We define the good in terms of the negative, and that's not restoring the good. That's not righteousness. The Pharisees were good at the knots. But Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law that you might live life abundantly, and the law cannot give life. Just everything's backwards. And it's not surprising it's backwards among what we'll call the political liberals. But it's backwards among the Christians who are conservatives in politics. So that's my report from Washington, D.C. I'm not going to tell you what we're going to cover next week because, to be honest, I don't know. But I hope you'll join me for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.